Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Mindful Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Hill, a mindful semantic coach and founder of The Mindful Coach Association. I'm really happy to have with me today Kate Greenslade, a member of the association, an incredible coach doing some important work. Can't wait for you to hear about her. Welcome to the show, Kate. Hi, thanks, Brett. It's great to be here. So happy to have you. Let me read a little bit about uh, your your background so people can understand a little bit about what you're up to and we can talk about some of the amazing work you're doing. Uh, Kate is a certified mindfulness coach who helps people live the lives they truly want to live by teaching them how to let go of unhelpful, unhelpful thinking patterns, self-sabotage, and past experiences that are holding them back. Her approach utilizes a unique blend of mindfulness and meditation, transformative coaching techniques, the latest neuroscience, and positive psychology. Kate's life experience have moved her to help others with the same struggles she has experienced through her personal work. She has changed careers at 40 and alleviated tinnitus, moved to another country, changed the relationship with her father, and found her sister. Wow, that's a big transformation. And she's currently working on a mindfulness-based program to support people through surgery and recovery. She enjoys hosting mindfulness retreats in her hometown of Denia in Spain. So, wow, that's a lot. Uh, And Kate, I'm so happy to have you on the show to talk about this amazing journey that you're on in the work that you're doing thanks yeah i can't wait um lots (laughs) to talk about there is so where would you like to begin like how is it that you made this uh let's let's start with this pivot from you know you were in one career and you decided to make a pivot at at age 40 it says and and so what what happened there what what caused you to decide nope i'm going another way now yeah so i was living in london running Um, a company that I had with my husband. It was a video production company and we had it for 10 years or so. And it was really my baby. You know, I built Mm. it up for nothing with him and it, it, you know, it kind of ran my life, ran my thoughts. You know, you first thing I thought about when I woke up in the morning, last thing at night, you know, Sure, Um, yeah. and it was, it was fun for a long time, but I did notice I started to fall out of love with it wasn't really sure why it just wasn't really kind of um you know giving me the joy that it that it once did Mm -hmm. and so I wasn't actively looking for something I just knew that that wasn't uh, an option to carry on and it was just totally by chance that a friend was living in Thailand and he was actually working for an organization that taught people mindfulness so he asked if I want to do a course and I was like, all right, I don't know what that is, but okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds interesting and good, huh? Yeah, exactly. And in I Thailand. Think. So that's quite a that's quite a leap, a leap of faith in a way. Yeah, and I he was a coach at the time and I trusted him and it sounded interesting, like you said. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. And um that was really the beginning of where everything started. And I think 
very quickly, learning mindfulness became this kind of missing piece for me in terms of looking at the world and interacting with the world. I mean, it was quite amazing. I was like, I was shocked at how powerful it was very, very quickly. I'm a massive fan of therapy and um, always got a self-help book on the go. And so I thought, actually, this piece here is is help is going to really help me and, and had started helping me to actually do something with the insights that I had from therapy. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I loved it. And then I was hooked. So, so I want to drill into that just a little bit. So you go into this experience, you don't know what to expect. What was it like for you to transition from, I don't know what's going on here to, oh, wow, this is really going to change my life. Like, was there like an aha moment for you? Was there, or was it just more of a gradual, like getting, getting acclimated to the hot, you know how you get in a hot tub somehow it's like, Oh my God. And then you, you acclimate after it. So what was it? Was there some pivotal moment or was it just a process of immersion over time? Yeah, I think it was more gradual over time. Um, I definitely remember feeling quite nervous about the fact that I was feeling quite drawn to this and that. Oh, that's so interesting to me. It was, like, it was like a sort of like, oh God, where is this going to take me? I know this is, this is pulling me somewhere. So somehow though, you're, you're indulging, if you will, your curiosity. And it's, and I, and that's a, that's a, um, how should I say, uh, a characteristic of a person that's somewhat unusual to give themselves the authority and have enough confidence in a way to say, I don't know what this is, but I'm along for the ride and we'll see where this goes. So that's a, so tip of the hat, you know, for having the courage to step into um, strange waters in a way. That's really interesting. Thanks. I mean, there has been many ups and downs uh, and it's definitely not been a a smooth ride for sure. It's very, (laughs) it's been very kind of, as you said, smooth is a good word, like a, a kind of steady, slow, organic process of Mm. deciding that I even wanted to train and and share this with others how I was going to do that what that really looked like and also then how to transition which was a biggie for me out of my business into something new oh Um, well bad yeah and that was scary (laughs) was that disruptive to your social life it was disruptive to my identity Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because um and also that sense i think of responsibility that i had (coughs) excuse me um sense of responsibility that i had that i was running the business Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i cannot do that felt like a mixture of things partly failure partly irresponsible um selfish you know all those things yeah of course wow wow so you really had um you manufactured in a way an identity shift for yourself that that put you into a different state um now you know and so you you set out to kind of re-identify with this new version of you this new kate um and so what then did you set out to do now that, now that you have this, you started to become more mindful and aware and said, you know, I've got to find something. How, how did that go? What was the, what's the next chapter here? So I 
did gently step back from the business um, and I decided to just start finding people to teach mindfulness to, really. Um, I think very early on, and this was a total fluke, absolutely not planned, by the way, <laughs> to, to call myself a mindfulness coach. I didn't really know what that was, if I'm honest, but it sounded, I don't know, it just sounded right. Um, okay. And I sort of discovered more about what that was and I maybe made that my own let's say over the years sure Um, so initially that's what I was calling myself and I would I would you know talk to friends and people that I knew um, and start just working with people and I just loved it so much I thought this this is it this is what I'm meant to do like I I think for the first time in my life I really felt I was good at something oh wow and I could build on that that's so interesting. Like the, like somehow the work you were doing with the video company, even though you from, uh, would you say your video company was successful? Yeah. So even though you're like driving a successful company, that somehow didn't quite land in the put you in a place where you felt like you were, you said good at something that you were successful at it. But now, but you shift into this, and now that lights up for you. That's so interesting to me. I think um, it was and I, I was using, uh, maybe I, f- I felt like this was a way to use like natural abilities I had and mm-hmm. that, the, the skills or the, I don't know, like somehow my spirit was involved. I mean, I don't even know. Exactly so. <laughs> yes, exactly so. Right. This is, this is mean, it's meaningful work, you know, and you're, it's connective and it's, it's, you're connecting people to the, the truth of who they are. And, you know, it's basically in another way, another lens you could say it's almost a healing work in some capacity because you're helping people be more whole. Um, I'm, you, I'm, putting words in your mouth in a way, but I hope that resonates. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that's when, after doing that for a while, I I felt like there was something missing to, to, to really help people further, or I just felt like there, there was something missing. And that's when I found the, co- I thought the coaching element, I need to train to be a coach, to have mm-hmm. that structure. Um, a structure. I'm yeah. so glad you said that word. I'm going to, I'm going to, mindfully interrupt right here if you don't mind because that's a big word for me and the reason the reason it is is because there's a lot of coaches who um do really good work but there's a structure structural component to their understanding that can be missing that can help immensely and would you say that uh, realizing that has helped you become a better coach Absolutely, 100%. And again, all this stuff takes time to integrate properly and really embed that in the yes. and naturally be able to use that and, and be agile with clients with it. But over time, that has been the, definitely the best decision. So every year now, I, I increase my training on either coaching or mindfulness if they just take alternate years. And That's so blending all of those disciplines in a way that 
serves the client the best because they complement each other so beautifully. They do. And that's why I'm doing this work as the Mindful Coach, the Mindful Coach Association, and the Mindful Coach Method, because the Mindful Coach Method, which is the course that I developed for coaches, is to specifically help them, number one, be more mindful and present in their work with people that goes beyond just traditional mindfulness training, but then also provide somatic skills for them to use and put all of that in a container that has a framework so they can begin to do the coaching. So I'm trying to, you know, in some ways help coaches take with the advantages that you're talking about that you've, you've come into in your own way. So I'm really happy that there's a, you know, that you've, you've run a resonant, a resonant path, a, a similar path in that regard and, and are seeing the benefits of it. Yeah. It's funny that it's, it just seems so natural and um yeah the natural progression of how to do things and i think as i add you know various other learnings trainings whatever you call it um to to that to those two core disciplines like trauma for example mm-hmm. it's absolutely essential um that coaches are trained on some level in trauma um, oh my gosh yes Absolutely. Bringing that in. I mean, most clients I have need an understanding of where that comes into their life and how to how to handle that with them. That's absolutely so, so true. There is so much around and we could have a whole month of discussions around trauma and the differences between that and just normal emotional wounding. Um, I see so much misunderstanding about trauma out there. People who... Um, are confused about the neurological foundations of trauma and how it's different from, you know, the the typical sort of characterological issues that we all wind up with as a result of being humans on the planet and kind of a semi-dysfunctional world for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's a, there are normal things that happen in life that are unfortunate and painful, but that don't necessarily rise to the level of actual trauma. And then there are different kinds of trauma as well. So it's a complex, deep, important subject. And um, I agree completely that every coach on the planet who calls itself a coach needs to have specific training um, around trauma and trauma informed mindfulness is a big, is a big topic. Tip of the hat to David Trevelyan's work in that area. Um, because he's, he's done a lot to elevate that topic. Yeah, and in fact, that's where I did my training. Um, so, yeah, he definitely got me onto that. Um, actually, it's really interesting what you just said about uh, the language that people use these days around trauma and how how it's kind of flung around. And I think there's so much language like the word toxic or, um, you know, that kind of thing. I think it's it's really difficult sometimes to... I mean, you really need to sort of unpick that with a client so that they understand what they're saying and do they really mean that? And that can itself in itself be really illuminating work. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. There's a um, um, specialty of mine is mindful communication. And so I'm kind of a, it's a pet peeve of mine, the way that people use words uh, loosely and uh, incorrectly often. And I think it, it's damaging to our capacity to connect and relate and communicate. 
So I'm always, I'm always, and also I have a technical background. And so it's like, I, you know, um, I relate, was relating to what you said about, you know, you're doing your work in your company and you switched to doing, you know, engaging with people and you felt like, oh my God, this is, I'm, this is what I was really meant to do. I had the same experience with technology in the sense that I was pretty good at it. I mean, I had a, had a career with Microsoft and I was getting out these, all the awards and I spoke on all over the world at conferences. Um, but I felt like I was 10 times better when working with people than I was with technology. But you can't, and I sometimes joke, I have an inside joke with coaches. It's like I can I can get a company to pay me $10,000 to write a 25-page paper, but I can't get people to pay me $100 to change their life. It's kind of like this, the, kind, of, kind of a traditional coach's dilemma in a way, right? It's tricky. It's a tricky one. Although I do think coaching is... You know, it's definitely gone into the the mainstream more. I mean, obviously, you're in you're in America. No, I know that. that Spain, but yeah, it's just a matter of what does the culture value, right? It's yeah. kind of like, and from a business perspective, oh, here's a product that helps me sell things, and I can make money from it. Versus, oh, I want to help people be better. What's the value? Actual value of that? Well, the value is in immeasurable but the month but is it profitable you know is it you have to turn it into a business and charge it's like anyway let's don't go there <laughs> i think it's really interesting what, what you said around um getting people to know the value of that because if they haven't haven't experienced um clarity of thought or, yes or inner peace even for a moment then it's very difficult to say, here, let's do some really difficult work and you're going to pay a lot of money for it and that's what you're going to feel. Well, right. It's a very classic. It's a, I've had this conversation with a lot of people in the marketing, marketing professionals about my work and the work of coaches in general. Um, and specifically with mindfulness, you see all over the place, it's like, well, if you get more mindful, you're going to have less anxiety. You're going to be more productive. You're going to be healthier. You're going to have more creativity. You're going to sleep better. You're, you know, there's all these proven in a way. There's so many studies that show these benefits from, but you have to sell it as a cost benefit sort of things. Like, well, if I invest here, I'll get this. So it's very transactional, right? It's still sold in a very, um, you know, you get more than you pay for sort of thing. You know, there's an outcome that you're really buying. And, um, and that's, it's, and the reason I think that is, is, is because it's just like you say, people don't really understand the value until they experience it personally. And whenever they do, the lights go off that are like, and I, well, from my experience, when people really get the value of, being able to stand back and look at their life in an open, receptive way about whatever their experience is and say yes to that experience, whether it's good or bad, and simply accept the truth of who they are mm -hmm. and step into their, that's what I call stepping into your inner authority, your own native goodness in a way. Whenever you have that moment, you look back on all the things you thought you were going to get and they just seem like little baubles on the shelf. You know, there's just like tiny little, what was I, this is so much bigger than anything I could have imagined. Now you can't, you can't get the client to that place before they start the process. And so you have to, you, you're, you have in mind what's actually, what's actually going to be this transformation for them. Hopefully, you know, we all want that for people, 
but they haven't experienced that. And so you have to say to them things like, well, you're going to be less expensive. And then you get them into the process and they go, yeah, the truth is all those things did happen and, and so much more. I mean, that's been my experience. Has it been yours? Yeah, absolutely. Like the language that you use in a discovery call, let's say, or chemistry call, um, is, is very different from the language well, for a start when you're in sessions, but then, you know, if you come to an end of a, a program with someone or a term, it's like you said, it's almost like the initial intentions are just, it's just irrelevant because um, they're seeing things differently. So actually they're looking at things differently in terms of their life and who they are and what they want. Maybe their their beliefs have changed a little bit. Actually, maybe their desires have changed or they've, they've discovered a, a new dream that they never thought they had. So actually thinking, oh, I want to be more productive at work. Who cares about that? No one. Um, but that's the thing that that's why you had the conversation in the first place. So I think I actually it's a good point because I often I do have to sort of remind myself to really honour that. And because, you know, sometimes I can be quite impatient because I'm like, oh, come on, let's get the good stuff. Um, <laughs> but, you have, but there's, you know, it's the being, being patient of the journey of, of the client and, and, and honoring where they are. And sometimes I really have to sit on my hands, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I totally, because one of the problems with being a coach who's been through a, a process is sometimes, and this can be a, 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 you know, this starts to get into more master level coaching advice is sort of like, when, when you've been through the process with 100 or 200, 300 clients and you kind of know the journey and you kind of can see the roadmap for them, but they haven't walked it, right? It can be a difficult thing as a coach to suspend your idea of where you think they ought to be and let them lead because it's um, very important in my work that they do that so that the process of is a process of discovery rather than of um, um, exposition. Like, oh, and over here's Mount Rainier and over here's the Himalayas and those are beautiful, aren't they? Oh, it's so great. Rather than they turn the corner and they see the mountain, they go, oh, my God, I discovered a mountain. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. a very, very different experience. And it's uh -huh. so... so Sorry, Continue, please. No, no, please go ahead. Um, I mean, I suppose that is that's a continual practice for a coach to yes. remind themselves. You know, we don't have the answers. We don't know this person in what they're how they're feeling and how they're experiencing this journey. And and that's I think where for me my best friend is curiosity because then it just switches the whole the whole story and uh, you can just kind of drop that whole, oh, but well, I think you kind of probably feel this, don't you, about your dad and whatever it is that you've got. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I always I always have a, I fit, and you could ask my wife, is that I actually get very unmindful and have outbursts at the TV when I see these therapists who are like, well, was your dad mean to you? And how do you feel about that? You know, it's like, oh my God, leading the witness, you know, like, you know, it's kind of like, let, let me insert some trauma fields into the dialogue that weren't actually suggested by the client <laughs> because I think they might be important. It's kind of like, oh, wow, such so many bad examples of how to help people. Oh, well, that's, that's a, a, a whole segue we could go down. Coming back to your life, um, so 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 um, this is great fun conversation. I'm having a great time. Um, I would like to know about um, I, one of the things that 
caught my attention about your your work was um, I had heard in one of our meetings that you're doing work with um, surgical patients. And so somehow in your journey, you got a focus on that as a particular way to be helpful in the world. So I'd like to understand how that came into your life. Yeah, sure. So um, it came from a personal experience, um, as so many things do, don't they? Um, I had I had two surgeries and it was the same surgery and they were, I think, maybe five or so years apart. The first surgery I had before I even knew what mindfulness was and the second one mm. after I'd been practicing for a few years. Oh, wow. And the experience of both of those surgeries were planets apart. Um, mm. And it made me think that there was something really in this. <laughs> Not that I weren't, wasn't, you know, a combo of, of mindfulness at that point, but I thought, oh, wow, I can be, I, we can help other, other patients with this work. And so I got talking to my surgeon about this. He was very interested um and we decided to explore it a little bit further together and so we wrote a paper about mindfulness and surgery and how it really helps several elements like lots of elements actually in terms of sort of leading up to the surgery um on the day in terms of how the patient comes to the surgery um and therefore the experience they have of it but also how the body reacts to the surgery yeah. not being so traumatized and in distress um and then following surgery how it helps in terms of pain reduction uh just kind of spiraling out stress of worry of you know what's going on with their own bodies a lot of people really aren't connected with their own body um and that causes all kinds of problems you know particularly <laughs> indeed <laughs> so that was just fascinating and we that took yeah, we did that together with another doctor. And then um, that led me to a, um, a hip replacement doctor in the UK who was interested in looking into this and creating a program. So what we're working on now is a very specific mindfulness-based program. It also includes physio. It's going to include um, sound therapy um, and CBT in order to give a very, back to that word structure, structured program and support to people going through surgery. And it will begin really as soon as they know that, or they've made that decision to have the surgery. So they've got time to uh, prepare their mind and, and their body for this mm. often traumatic event. That's an amazing story. And so... Um, help me understand a little bit, like, what was it that you did differently because you were skilled in mindfulness or had been trained in mindfulness after, in, in the case of your second surgery, that made a difference? Like, what was it that you sat down and you said, well, I'm, I'm having this experience. This is what I'm going to do. What did you actually do that, that it, you know, um, that now maybe even part of your program? I think there's a couple of really key things that I remember really, really helping. So the fact that I knew how to be in my body when it was freaking out, let's say, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if, if you know, there were obviously, you know, there are, there are moments, there were moments um, of 
early anxiety, let's say, you know, it didn't get bad because I, I managed to, oh, I managed it. So the ability to identify and, and manage when I started feeling anxious was just invaluable. Um, obviously, the breath work, understanding about breath work and the nervous sure. system, it's just incredible. And also, I think, and the you know, the other key part of that is I'm just really noticing and recognizing when my thoughts started going off on a funny direction. And I mm. you, know, you can pick that up really quickly, bring yourself back to where where you are and what's going on. And also reminding yourself you've chosen to have this. I chose to have this surgery. Yeah, oh, that's so powerful. That is so powerful. Like it's in terms of you know, I'm not a victim here. This is something I'm choosing and then and interrupting, you know, negative thoughts because let's be honest, you know, things can happen that are are, are not good during surgery. And but it doesn't help to entertain those in a way where it actually floods your system with the chemicals of, of fear and anxiety. It's the opposite of the state that you need to be in to heal. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, a really big difference that I noticed, well, first of all, I, I did some meditation while I was waiting to be called in. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually had a little nap as well, which was just... <laughs> wow! I know, I, I just surprised myself with that one. <laughs> um but the first time I remember, as I was, you know, wheeled in to see the anaesthetist, I can't say that word ever properly, um, I was literally shaking. My body was shaking. I was, sure. I was cold, clammy, shaking. I was in an absolute mess. And the, net, the last... That's shock. Yeah, totally. And that yeah. is not a great way to be going into surgery. Um, <laughs> Um, yes. So wow. And it, what's interesting to me is that it takes someone who's been through this experience to elevate this to the level of awareness of the physicians. It's kind of like, you know, my wish would be that we lived in a slightly different world where a physician could look around the surgical writing room and go, these people are stressed out. <laughs> we need to do something about that, you know. Yeah. But uh, but thank you so much for for elevating that. And so uh, you've you've developed this program uh, with the with the surgeon. And what's uh, what are the plans? So the plan is that we are going to create an app um, that will facilitate all the content and the guided meditations and the information. Um, it's going to be some interesting kind of journaling, self-measurement stuff, which is also really important for the for the patient. Um, and that will support the program that the surgeon will facilitate with the patient. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it, I hope, I, I mean, I've got big hopes for it because honestly, I really think it can help a lot of people. Well, I do too. And so I hope that people will connect with you uh, about this program and about the capacity for you to help them, you know, one-on-one -on -one or in any other way that you're, you're doing work. How are you, how can people find you should they wish to do this? Sure. So um, my website is onlinemindfulnesscoach.com and everything is on there. So people can okay. find me on, on LinkedIn or Instagram, whichever they, they prefer. And I share lots of daily tips on both of those platforms. Um, and if they specifically want more information about this program, um, they can email me. Sure. sure. So they can reach you at what's the URL again? And I'll put it in the show notes. It's onlinemindfulnesscoach.com. 
OnlineMindfulnessCoach.com. So if you're interested in learning more about Kate and Kate's work and connecting, reach out to her at OnlineMindfulnessCoach.com. And um, wow, I hope to see you in the future meetings, the Mindful Coach Association. And this has been so fascinating. I know I could talk to you for an hours and hours about all this fun stuff. Um, it's been a blast. Thank you for showing up. Uh, anything else you'd like to say to uh, listeners before we go? Stay curious. Stay curious. I love that because that, that's really been a, um, a big a big aspect of your whole journey is this. What is this? How does this work? And exploring that. So I really appreciate that. And it's actually really fabulous advice for a coach to stay curious and for, for people in general. So thank you. Really appreciate you being here. And we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thanks, Brett. Take care. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer, teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com. Until next time, stay present.